Brick and Mortar Reporter, episode 57, where you'll hear how Angel Rivera built the business of his dreams. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hi there, localists. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy, and I'm your host today. And you're not going to believe who I have on the line today. Today, I have Angel Rivera as a guest with us. Now, Angel has owned A Time to Dance. It's a dance studio in San Diego. It specializes in Latin dancing. He's had some entertainment companies. He's uh, taught dancing. He's run the San Diego Salsa Festival. He's been all over the place. He's got a lot of business experience. He's also told me today that he just closed escrow on selling his business and he's moving into more coaching and that sort of thing. So he's got a lot of business experience to share with us. And Angel, we're so glad to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Christy. It's awesome to be here. Well, I've just really shortened all your uh, credentials down into a couple sentences, and I know there's a lot more to it than that. So can you kind of give us more a, a little more in-depth look at the story of you and tell us anything about yourself personally or professionally, anything you think might help us to know about you? Sounds good, Chrissy. Well, thank you so much. Uh, real quick, I grew up in Chicago. I graduated high school. Immediately after high school, I joined the Navy. The Navy oh, wow. is what brought me to San Diego. I did uh, very well when I was in the Navy, loved my time. By the time I was 20 years old, I was a second class, the youngest in my division. I was on an aircraft wow. carrier. My goal uh, was to become an officer, so I enrolled in officer school. And um, I wanted to command my own ship. I wanted to have my own fleet. I wanted to have my name wow. on the side of a ship. You know, that was, my, uh -huh. that was my goal. I didn't really have anything else, but the Navy was awesome. And that's what I did. So I, it brought me to San Diego. And um, I'm from Chicago, like I said, sort of the northwest side. I grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, and uh, it was all about salsa music. And I've always listened to it as part of my culture, heritage. And when I mm -hmm. came out here, I went to a base called Miramar. It's a marine base ah, in San Diego. Yeah. And I walked into a club called the E-Club, which you know stood for Enlisted Club. And they had ah. a salsa night there. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. <laughs> and I saw this. My people. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, nice. This is good. I felt like I was at home. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw this one guy dancing. And he had literally, Christy, like seven women just waiting to dance with him. <laughs> wow. And I thought to myself, this is it. I got to learn to do what he yeah. did. Yeah, exactly. 20 <laughs> years old. I'm like, this is a chick magnet. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> and so the very next week, I got a haircut and I walked into a dance studio. And um, this guy was there and he signed me up and he said, hey, come back in a few days and we'll have your instructor ready to teach you. And I said, great. So I came back. And my instructor, she was awesome. She is now my wife today. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. <laughs> so she fraternized with me. And That's she, right. Yeah. And she's also the reason why I dropped out of officer school program. So that whole, ah. that whole paradigm shifted. She begged me not to leave. And that's how my dance career started. It, I, it, wow. I never, ever, ever thought that I would be doing dance in my life. Yeah, I couldn't even yeah. do it. You know, I was like, you don't do something that you're not good at, especially yeah, trying to make it a living true. out of it. 
so that's how it started. She, um, you know, she taught me. I, I, I got out of the Navy um, and I was like, what next? So at that point, I was it was like the crossroads. I was like, God, what am I going to do? So I went I, I got my first job ever. It was at a bookstore because um, I love reading. It was at a Christian bookstore here in San Diego, and I kept that job for about three months because I found out really quick that I was not a very good employee because I just – I always thought about having my own business. I, never, I was very independent, and I just mm-hmm. – it didn't sit right for me to work for somebody, not because of anything other than my mind just wasn't in an employee mindset. It was more like I need to know – I, I got to do something on my own. This is not working mm-hmm. for me. So then my wife and I, we opened up Dan, we opened up a dance company. We started outgrowing dance studios here in San Diego. And um, that's pretty much how it all started. That's, uh, that's what took us and catapulted us to the success that we had and that we've had for the last, uh, you know, 14 years. Wow, that's unbelievable. So, wow, that's, I mean, it's crazy. I, I know what you mean, though, whenever you talk about the, the salsa music. I, I'm living Key West, and we have the Cuban influence. Oh, yeah. And every time I go, um, I have a business down in Mallory Square every evening, and there's a Cuban place down there that has the outdoor music, and people get up and dance. And I could listen to that. It just makes me happy. I could listen to it all day long. I love that kind of music. So um, I know what you mean about uh, feeling like you're at home whenever you hear that. So now it's interesting to me that you really you aspired to be in the Navy, which is funny because you inspired you wanted to be in the Navy mm-hmm. and wanted to have your career go in that direction, which is completely being you know kind of controlled and told what to do. Right? You know, it's a very highly disciplined and rigorous environment. But then you transitioned to the business world, and immediately you knew that being the run-of-the-mill employee was not for you. You needed the leadership roles. Did, did the military bring that out in you? Absolutely. I, I think what brought it out with, with me in the beginning, and I didn't know this, was my I was raised by my mother and my grandmother. And we were in a pretty bad neighborhood in Chicago. It was called Humble Park. And ah. um, it was – they protected me, you know, they, they uh-huh. those values. And then the people that I grew up with, they were not, my best friend was four years older than me. So I always had that older oh, wow. leadership. They would always try to keep me safe. They would get me home before the lights went out. I mean, it was just, there was just an amazing uh, protection around me the whole time I grew up. And I always saw people leading me. So when I joined the Navy, the first thing I told my recruiter was, I am not starting from the bottom up. I want to join the Navy as an E3. I told him, mm. you can make that happen, then I'm in. If you can't make that happen, then I'm not going. So he was like, oh, well, he pulled some strings. We, I was able to get – I recruited, actually, <laughs> a friend of mine to join with me. And oh, wow. believe it or not, he was a valedictorian in high school. And I thought to myself, <laughs> you of all people should not be joining the Navy. You can go to any college yeah. you want to go to. <laughs> I just told him, I said, as a matter of fact, I don't even know how you got a 4.0 grade point average. Oh, we did everything gosh. together. Where do you have time? <laughs> so immediately I thought, man, school's not for me if I can't do as well as he did. And we did everything together. So anyhow, I joined as an E3. And when I was in the Navy, immediately I was put into a leadership role. So I never uh-huh. really got to experience being told what to do if uh-huh. it didn't come from an officer. So gotcha. it was it was a humbling, awesome experience. But I believe that the Navy did instill inside of me discipline, honor, courage, the whole thing, along with my mom and my grandmother raising me. And um, my faith, obviously, too, put a, played a big role in that. But it is also just, 
you know, I I've always was I was always in a position where I was always able to lead other people, and I think that's yeah. what catapulted now what I'm doing and um, what I have done the last 14 years. Well, so many entrepreneurs that I have talked to have kind of as part of their foundation that military experience. And it almost makes you wonder, you know, without the military experience, would, you know, would it have changed the business outcome? Because, you you know, you wonder which is first. Is it that those people that are entrepreneurial are also drawn to the military and leadership or is it vice versa? But it's definitely a common thread. And those people also tend to be the ones that can put systems into place and are very, um, very rigorous and disciplined with how they handle their businesses. So normally they do a really good job. So, and if you just sold yours, it tells me you put some, uh, you put some systems in place to make sure uh, you had all your ducks in a row for that, because I know that's not an easy process. Now, can we talk a little bit about when you started your business and your dance studio and, and what all you did with that and kind of talk about how it evolved because I'm sure it changed some over the 14 years that you were in business. Yeah, we, we started off just having dance companies and renting space at, at local dance studios. And it got mm-hmm. to a point where, <clears throat> excuse me, where the studio owners saw our growth. And for the most part, we grew faster than the studio owners or the actual studio did. So they would always want a higher percentage or a bigger cut or more rent. And it got uh, to a point where our pastor at, the, at that time, and he's still in our life today, he, was, he, you know, he encouraged us. He was an entrepreneur, and he said, you guys need to open up your own dance studio and pay yourself rent and do what you want to do. So I thought, no, that's too far-fetched. That's crazy. That's building. <laughs> that's rent. Uh-huh. You know, at least here, you know, we only pay what we produce. We're not obligated. Safe. Exa- it was safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I'm 21 years old. My wife is 23. I, we're young. We'd had never done this before. And this what we did. So we opened up our first place, and that was a testimony in and of itself. But we opened up number one in 2012, and then uh, we opened up our second dance studio in 2007, and then we opened up our third location in 2012. Wow. So, we had so you end up with three locations. Yes. Wow. That was a nightmare. I, well, I was going to say, you know, that sometimes people either find that three is just as easy to run if you have all the people, good people in place, or it's like too much growth too fast. So yeah. um, it's interesting that you got to three locations because that's a lot to keep up with. I'm sure, were they right in the same city or were they kind of in different we had, areas? I, if you're familiar with San Diego and hearing this, then you'd know. But I want you to think, and let's see, the first location was more of a central San Diego spot. And then we had one in what's called La Jolla. And that was yeah. sort of right off the coast, about maybe 20 minutes away from our first location. Location, and then uh-huh. we decided to go a little bit more northeast in Rancho Bernardo, and that was our third okay. location. So they were gotcha. all about 15 to 20 minutes away from each other. Okay, so not terribly a lot of commuting time or even being prohibitive for you to get get to one place or the other. Yeah, it was so. bad. Wow. So now whenever you got your business started, you mentioned that your um, pastor was a, a good resource for you. Were there other resources within the community that kind of helped you get your business off the ground? Anything that you remember? Yeah, we had like we had a few. We had a lot of opposition from our neighbors and stuff like that. Like anybody else, you know, you're going to have opposition. Really? But we had um we had like a community organizations that helped us along. There wasn't, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I think it would say, I have to say that we didn't have a lot of support only because we didn't know how to find the support. So it oh, probably okay. was there, but because we were so young and so new, we uh-huh. were just relying on the resources that we knew of 
which we had yeah. a lot of. So we had a really good – my wife had a student. He was the regional vice president of New York Life Insurance on the West Coast. So we had a lot of, a lot of leadership uh, from him, a lot of advice, and he also helped us out in our rough, rough time. So that was mm. an awesome person. Um, obviously, our pastor was an amazing guy. He, he uh, co-signed for us because we were so young. Uh, wow. And he paid our first month rent for us. Um, and to this wow. day, he's never asked for it back. Uh, yeah, and it's just, thank goodness, right? Yeah, That's a no, good start. At the time we didn't have it, but you know, mm-hmm. we, we try to go back and and obviously bless the people that blessed us. But you know, he did it out of the kindness of his heart, so that was awesome. Yeah. And then you know, friends and family along the way helped us. But again, we were so young in business at the time when we opened it up. We pretty much just went out on faith, and and we learned as we did. You know, so we just did it, and then we learned. We fell, we got back up. We fell, we got back up. And we fell and fell and fell and got back up. So pretty much our business and how we learned was going through it. There was no yeah. preparation. There was no business plan. There was We did it the unconventional rogue way. <laughs> yeah, that's the school of hard knocks you whenever you there do you it that, that way. Exactly. <laughs> so did you have any fears when you first started out in business? Absolutely. I mean, you're going from the Navy where you know you have a set paycheck. You know you have some benefits and security to completely out on your own, and now you have a wife and, and responsibilities. So what were some of those fears you had? Oh, my goodness. The fear of not making it, the fear yeah. of failing, the fear of what people are going to think of you, um, especially now even more so, I was embarking on a, on, on a business that I had no experience in. I'm like, who? And it's not like uh, I can just hide, right? I was the product. So, right, so yeah, like I'm exactly. I'm a dance instructor. I'm in front of people. They're gonna. I'm gonna get exposed. They're gonna know. Yeah. Big fake computer, right? Or buy a program and just buy yeah. Quick, you know, thirty days to success and just duplicate <laughs> what we did. Pay, buy an ad on Facebook and you're good. It was oh you my the product. So that was rough, you know. Um, yeah. And it's a rough business because people people buy you in our business, mm-hmm. and it was a it, it was definitely the fear of people not liking me, not accepting me. Um, and it was just so much, um, but that was pretty much, that was pretty much, uh, overcome, I overcame it, but it, there was always other, other things that would come up that would challenge me, but there was always a fear there. There was always a fear of not making it, not being good enough, not being able to provide a living and sure. stuff like that. So yeah, it, it, everything that would that come well, up, and, came up. Sure. And I was going to say you kind of, because you and your wife were in it together, um, it's kind of like double jeopardy because it's not like she was out bringing home a separate income that you could fall back on, right? I mean, it was you had all your eggs in this one basket, right? Absolutely. And on top oh. of that, we're two, we, we, we weren't married when yet. We got married in late 2012, so we opened up the business before we got married. Then we got married, and then that introduced a whole plethora of other challenges. Cause, oh, wow. I mean, But it was beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But not too many people – I mean my wife and I, we've been together for 15 years, and um, we've been married for a little over 12 of those years. We have two mm-hmm. beautiful kids, and we have done literally everything together. We have not been separated for those 15 years other than wow. one six-month deployment, and it has been oh. a blessing. But we had we have definitely been through the Phoenix University of business, life, <laughs> marriage. I mean yeah. it was an accelerated course, and it was really, really tough. Because there's no, oh, how was your day today? Oh, how yeah. was your day? Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> You're with each other all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the thing about it is you, you know, sometimes what makes you compatible in your personal life is that you're complete opposites in some ways. Yes. And I'm not saying this is, may, might be true for you guys, but those are also the things that can just completely fly all over you in business. You know, if you have one way of handling things mm -hmm. and she has another, I mean, I can imagine that um, that is really a pressure cooker kind of environment That's to be. Absolutely. You know, in a relationship. And, and the other part is, you know, with a dance studio, with you guys being the product and you guys being the instructors and, and that sort of thing, um, you can't really get to a point where you're not really speaking or, <laughs> you no, know, always, that kind of, yeah, I mean, yeah, you gotta, you gotta suck it up and do what you gotta do because the class is starting. Yeah, you know? <laughs> there's no bad days. There's no, people yeah. are coming to you because they had a bad day. You gotta make them happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's true. You know, the more time you spend with people, it sometimes it's, you know, it's it's hard to uh, you know, you, when you do talk with them, you've j both had the same business experience and it, it's almost like in some ways you can't ever get away from the business, you know, because it's always there and that's what you're always doing together. So I know I know that was I can imagine the trials you went through with all that. Now, you had talked about the Fall down, falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up. And we don't spend a ton of time talking about your failures because um, I don't know that I could get too many guests uh, to come on and say, hey, can you come and rehash all your screw ups or, you know, but we, we know that you've probably learned some really valuable lessons and it doesn't have to be necessarily even a financial failure. But are, is there some missteps that you took along the way that you really learned some valuable lessons from that you could share that maybe others could benefit from? I think the number one is always communicate and don't mm -hmm. try to be right, you know, all the time. You you, mm -hmm. you have to communicate everything that you, you think, you feel, you have to communicate and you have to validate your partner. So that was one thing that we didn't do. We, we thought we were right. It was our way or the highway. We had a really bad time communicating with each other. So I mm -hmm. think the number one thing that you can do is to communicate. Communicate everything. Don't let it fester up. Don't let it stay inside because it's going to keep on. It's going to keep on building up and building up. And I've seen it happen hundreds of times where people don't communicate and then they react in a way that is unbecoming and it ends up destroying more um, than, mm -hmm. than than it would have if you would have just communicated the first time. And then when the person communicates, it's not about being right. It's about validating, validating the person, letting them know I understand. I, I, I see your point of view. Try to take what they're saying and see how you can apply what they're saying and then validate them and then come back around and say, okay, well, let's apply that one and then let's maybe try to take my idea and, and see how they can all work together and come to a point where we're both happy. Um, and that's mm -hmm. what I had to do with my wife because she was my partner and and that's that's pretty much what we went through. But we've been through a lot of failures, and I, I believe, I really truly believe, uh, Christy, that that without a without a test, you're not going to have a testimony. So right. I have learned to embrace my failures. I have learned not mm -hmm. to look at them as failures, but as the uh, what, what do you call it? The fertilizer of success. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's that's true. And I, you know, I, you see, you know, even on there's so many um, entrepreneurial. TV shows and programming right now between, um, you know, the, the restaurant nightmares and taking over businesses. And, and you see all these things on TV and many of them started out as a couple that went into business together. And now they've, their relationships gone by the wayside, communications broken down, and now they are in a business together that's driving each other crazy. And so to me, those are the people that 
kind of failed the test, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> that you're talking about going through. Because um, once you, you know, once you get to that point, and communication is so far broken down, there's not a lot you can do to repair that. And when you have two people on a completely different page pulling in opposite directions, it's no wonder the business is in chaos. But I also agree with what you're talking about that the failures and the the things that happen in our lives that kind of make us hungry are also, that's when we learn the most, you know? I mean, how Absolutely. if the first thing you ever tried worked, how good would you be right now? You, you know what I mean? Because you, you would, would you have ever done anything else? Would you ever, ever tried anything else? You you know, it's, it's we're status quo if everything's cool, you know? Exactly. So, uh, I, well, at least I know I am. Well, Maybe some you, other people want to keep pushing. Exactly. But. And you don't question when things are good. You know, you don't often think about how things are going. You're good because no. you're good. No. Yeah, that the whole uh, analysis part of it is not is as keen sometimes as it is when you fail. Because I know I'm I'm doing that you know as well in so many things that I'm doing right now, and it's like you know the failures are where the lessons lie, and I love looking at it as the kind of the preparation for the success or the fertilizer for the seeds of success that you were talking about. Because that's a great way to look at it. It's not not a failure, only a, a lesson. Exactly. So. Now, at this point, you have um, 14 years into your business. Can you talk a little bit about what what was the catalyst for making you decide to go ahead and sell your business? It was my children. It was our children, oh. and it was also the fact that um, we got to a point where our income capped. Um, it got to a point where I thought and I saw that there's only so much income that we can make with the amount of hours that we're putting into this. So we were basically trading uh, time for money. And sure. although, although it was great when we were single in 2007, uh, we, my wife gave birth to our son and the paradigm shift, you know, my wife went mm. to mom mode and she was happy with doing that. And so that took her out of the business and it put the whole business on me. And then yeah. that's the point where we started thinking, well, maybe if we opened up number two, and I wasn't totally 100% on board with that, but she was, and this was pretty mm -hmm. much her dream and goal. So I wanted to support her. So we went on and opened up number two. And again, that was a lot of more burden put on me and mm -hmm. time commitment. And it just got to a point where the dance business or this studio business that we were in was an all day, all consuming job. And that's mm. what it felt like. It didn't feel like I was the owner anymore. It felt like I was just consumed by it and every mm -hmm. single night I was away from my family because it's a night yeah. business people come in yeah. when they get off of work sure so I had to be gone every night I had to be at salsa clubs I had to travel go do uh you know festivals and conventions mm -hmm. it's just it got to a point Christy where I was just like you know what I I need to do something different there are other yeah. things out there and I have a library full of personal development books. I, I probably have over 500 and audio programs and, you know, listening to uh, Brian Tracy and Darren Hart. Oh, yeah. People, you just start thinking to yourself, God, I can do more. I can be more. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. what started to sort of open my mind up to other business ideas, other streams of income. And when that started happening, it started to make me realize, like, this is not going to be something that I can really monetize on long term. That's going to create mm -hmm. the kind of income that I need to have to sustain my family long term and to create a future for them. 
And it's interesting, though, because, you know, when you say you reached a cap of, you know, trading time for money and you only have so much time or so many hours during the day you can teach and get, you know, only have so many students your studio can accommodate. And then you think, well, if I add location two or location three, then I can two exit and three exit. But you forget that it's also 2x and 3x times the work on you. And at the same time, do you really get 2x or 3x the, the revenue from Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Know? And, and the last thing, and I'm sure you have maybe some, I'm sure you'll have uh, some listeners that have businesses like I had. The other thing that we thought would be awesome, but that sort of worked against us is that we were training our competition. So almost like a real estate broker. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. And then you train your agents, and they're, 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 one day they're going to sit back and they're going to think, why am I giving you 3% of my sale when I can go uh-huh. and take a test and become a broker myself and keep all of it and take uh-huh. your clients with me? So I got to yeah. point where we were training our competition. People would get upset. People would be, you know, not communicate. Uh-huh. And at the same time, you know, we probably weren't the best business people at that time. So a, a, a culmination of all that we would lose clients because our clients got very attached to the teacher. And when the teacher left, they went with the teacher or they stopped coming. I see. So that, gotcha. was, that was a hard time. And then also the financial crisis uh, that started in 2007. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I guess that is a luxury for people. It is a luxury. And you know what? People don't feel like doing it whenever their life's falling apart or their business is falling apart or they're laid off. You know that you're right. That's exactly um the type of business that, that suffers whenever a recession Absolutely. comes along. And then, so. you know, if you have somebody there like myself that's ready and willing to engage the audience and engage your clients and be there for them during that time, then I'm sure we would have been awesome because we can hit the emotional aspect of keeping yeah. business. But I wasn't there. I was already on uh, an exit strategy. So it was a lot of going, you know, it was, it was a huge, huge chasm that we had to overcome. And we had to make a decision. And that decision mm-hmm. was to move on to something else because we were no longer emotionally and or physically able to keep up with the demands based upon our family. Because my son and my daughter are everything to me. I, I will stop yeah. everything and make sure that I'm there for them than anything else. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, you know, a, a good lesson for local business owners because I think so many of them are like you. They get consumed, completely consumed by their business. And sometimes it's in an effort to turn it around, make it profitable, you know, and do all these things. And so what happens is you get to a point where you have, inv- you you know, you are completely sucked into the vortex of your business. Meanwhile, your family suffers and you have no time to spend. And and honestly, I mean, some, some of the motivation behind doing this podcast is to give local business owners some resources that can help them not get to that point. Because there's nothing better than a local business where the owner also has a really good balanced life and has the freedom to do what they want to do. At the same time, they also run a successful business. So um, we're trying to hopefully tip the scale in their favor by giving them some of these um, tips and things that you've learned along the way as you've had to go through that. Now, Angel, what do you think at this point in your life, what do you feel like is your greatest business accomplishment? I, you know what? Looking back at everything that we did, I mean, you look at San Diego, and we have Arthur Murray's, we have Fred Astaire's, we have big franchises, mm. we have other people yeah. that have franchises. And I, one of my biggest accomplishments, even though we sold our business, was just opening up three locations. 
I mean, yeah. how many people can do that without investors? How many people mm-hmm. without financial backings? I mean, we did that sure. all by ourselves. And um, we got to that point. And, and then we also, in 2007, we opened up and we started San Diego's biggest and I would say only uh, the, a huge festival. So we rent yeah. a hotel in Harbor Island right here in San Diego. It's Labor Day weekend. It's our ninth year next year doing it. And we bring about 2,500 people to this event. And uh, it's a four-day, four-night weekend. And we get people from all over the world. People love it. And that came out of it. And um, it's just... Did, been an did you start that? Yeah, did you, were you the, What was the motivation for doing that? It was be, My wife and I were hired. When we became dance instructors, I just somehow got really good at it. And people loved mm-hmm. it. And it just... I was... I somehow... This was divinely blessed because I had no dancing skills prior. So <laughs> when I got really good, I said, there is really a God because... Yeah, <laughs> a really good salsa dancer. Um, but anyhow, we got really good and we started traveling the world. So we've been to uh, UK, we've been to the United Kingdom, uh, United Arab Emirates. We've been to Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, Japan, Germany, wow. Australia. So we were traveling, being paid to go and do what what you know what speakers do: get to travel yeah. paid for, you get paid to speak, and we performed and we taught workshops. So we taught workshops with 50 people all the way up to 5,000 people. And wow. um, so it taught us to be good teachers, good communicators. But it also showed me, again, that I was being capped with my income. I would mm-hmm. leave my business for a weekend or four days and sometimes five because they wanted to fly us out on Thursday so that we can get there Friday morning. Yes. So I would leave Thursday, come back on Tuesday, and then I would have Tuesday, Wednesday, leave on Thursday again. And yeah. in the meantime, my businesses, my studios are going down because mm-hmm. I'm not there. So I told my wife, I said, you know what? We have to become the promoters. We need to hire the talents because they're making them more money. So that's what was my motivation was let's do our own event. Let's make it the way we want to make it. And let's be the ones that are making the money as opposed to be the ones that are being hired. So it was, again, it was a mentality of being the owner, not the employee. And once you owned that event, then you could have it right there where you were and minimize your travels. You know, though, that's a good, um, you know, a good thing, I think, for local business owners to to take because it doesn't really matter what the event is or or what the, the industry is. There are might be opportunities for local business owners to be the one to start whatever gathering or festival or, you know, whatever event it is for their industry, for their, um, you know, other compadres that are in the same thing but in a different part of the country and bring everyone together and make it a learning experience. So I love that as kind of another resource in your toolkit, so to speak. Absolutely. Because I think um, I think so many times we sit back and think, well, somebody else is going to do it, or there's a national organization and they have a get-together once a year. But, you know, sometimes it just needs to be the regular folk that are already doing it. You know, you didn't wait for some event to come in. You said, we need to be the promoters. And, and, and as a local business, I think what's you hit it right on the spot is be the first. Be the first yeah. and the seconds to thirds. They may come. They may take a little bit. But as long as you're the first, you're going to catch the market share. And that's yeah. why we did it. Nobody else was doing it. So because nobody yeah. else did it, we did it. Our dance studio, same thing. Um, nobody. We were one of the first dance studios to come along in 2001. And then now, wow. look today, they're popping up everywhere. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean that you have to stop or sell your business because other competitions pop up. Yeah. But you gotta, if you're passionate about what you're doing, and I wasn't passionate anymore about what I did, which is why I sold. But if you're listening to this and you're 
passionate about what you're doing, then you have to find your niche market and find something that you can do that's different and then maximize Mm -hmm. on it and go for it and don't stop until you make it. Some inspiring words to end today's interview on. Tomorrow, we'll hear part two of the Angel Rivera interview, and he's going to talk about how he hit rock bottom. He's also going to talk about the things he's doing to reinvent himself. I told you he sold his business. He's in escrow right now, and he's going to tell you what he's done to follow his passions, and that starts tomorrow, part two of the Angel Rivera interview. Don't miss it because he's very inspiring to listen to. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local.